You're listening to 91.7 FM, WSUW, in Whitewater, Wisconsin. You're listening to WSUW, 91.7 FM, The Edge in Whitewater, Wisconsin. This is Rashkin Report, and I'm your host, Yuri Rashkin. I'm excited to welcome to the program Maxim Trudalubov, who is a senior fellow at the Canon Institute and editor-at-large of Vermestin, independent Russian daily. Mr. Trudalubov uh, was the editorial page editor of Vermestin between 2003 and 2015. He has been a contributing opinion writer for the International New York Times since the fall of 2013. Uh, Maxim, welcome to the program. Hello, welcome. Thank you for having me. It's it's very exciting because you're active in media in both uh, ends of the, you know, uh, well, the, the, the two leaders that now seem to destined to rule our world, uh, Mr. Putin and uh, possibly Mr. Trump. Let's uh, begin with the, your evaluation of uh, what's going on in that Russian connection that we're uh, discussing, debating. Um, is this something that you feel there's some validity to this, that uh, Russian, uh, you know, FSB, KGB? whatever Kremlin um, has some involvement or or what are your thoughts well of course I don't I have no um, in you know inside knowledge of any of this and uh, it's um, obviously if there is something it's um, we'll probably know for sure in about what's the time it takes for archives to uh, get um, uh, you know public, so um, we don't know. But uh, from what we see, uh, there's always I mean, there's no direct evidence. Obviously, there are contacts, um, and there have been contacts as always. But um, I think that uh, basically we have on the Russian side a number of parties. Let's put it like this: groups that probably even more than just two. Um, and, you know, one group is clearly has a history of uh, contacts with uh, the Republican part of um, the American establishment, and um, the other group has a history of contacts with more on the Democratic side. And, again, of course, within these groups, there are, uh, there are sub Groups and um, I just think that actually there's never existed a consensus on the Russian side on the Kremlin's even even within uh, the Kremlin that um, you know they all wanted Trump to win. I never believed that, and actually on uh, election night it was it was actually clear that uh, um, the Kremlin the Sort of the this let's say the the public part of uh, at least those advisors that we see on on media on uh, the Russian uh, state-run media they were all surprised all surprised it was it was an actual surprise and the, um, it was clear that they were preparing something but they were the contingency plans were for uh, for. Uh, for uh, Hillary Clinton uh, to win. 
Do you feel that though that there's, I mean, there's different kinds of surprises. There's a kind of surprise where uh, you were thought that you had enough money for Chevy, but you have enough money for Mercedes. I don't know, uh, or a kind of a surprise where you really had no idea and you weren't planning, you weren't saving, uh, you were just sitting back and watching, and all of a sudden, uh, President of the United States says, you know, Russia is is, is really our best friend. Uh, well, uh, this is uh, well, this is a mystery to me. Um, looking at what uh, Donald Trump says about, well, for example, he now has this story with uh, his call, uh, his conversation with um, Taiwan and his conversation with Pakistan. So there is, there is definitely uh, a part of it that that is just his um, his um, willingness to break the taboos and just to show that he is very, very different. It's part of it. Uh, the other part is is probably a genuine sympathy uh, for Putin somehow. I don't know. Or probably it's it has something to do with the fact that he actually wanted to... Uh, he wanted to do business in Russia for almost 30 years now, I think, and never succeeded. So it probably just... Uh, you know, uh, it's uh, it's some kind of unfulfilled, uh, unrealized um, idea of his that that keeps you know coming back, and that's why he is um, you know Russia is taking a, 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 a actually a, a, in a disproportionate place in his uh, thinking simply because he never succeeded in um, doing something, building something huge, which he uh, apparently wanted for so for, for such a long time. And I mean, in itself, it's actually also quite a mystery to me, because from what we know, uh, in, in Russia, if you really wanted, and if you were the kind of uh, businessman uh, Donald Trump apparently is, um, you know, you can, you know, make so you can strike deals, you're, you're not shy of uh, kind of you know murky uh, ways of doing business. Uh, he could have done it if you if he could. It means he couldn't, which is I don't I don't really understand it. So, so this is the, like either a, a man crush that Trump has on Putin, or a jilted lover because he hasn't been able. So now he's going to come. I mean, it's yeah. You know, it, it sounds. <laughs> which one sounds less reasonable? I don't know. Well, well, because I mean, we don't know what the what the uh, was there really uh, an intensive, um, you well, know, operation. Well, Maxim, operation. let me run this by you. Um, I just uh, spoke with Yuri Filshtinsky on the same topic, and his attitude is that this is so. If I if I dare to speak for anybody, because it's hard to find two Russians who will agree with anybody on anything, <laughs> if, but. Um, that this is uh, part of uh, an agreement, really, between Trump and Putin for Putin to help Trump win and then for Trump to let Putin run with Eastern Europe, Ukraine, whatever. Um, does that make – in fact, it kind of makes sense because this is all about really opposing China and and maybe this is – you know, but this is kind of me, my, my extension, since we already know from the front page of New York Times that the phone call from Taiwan was orchestrated, carefully orchestrated – like Bob Dole was involved, uh, then maybe this is part of a kind of a uh, pivot away from China and sticking it to China and uh, going closer with Russia. 
Well, I I really am not um, you know qualified to make this judgment. Uh, you see, uh, being in Russia, uh, you you learn to to be very cautious about you know grand schemes and grand strategies like this. It does sound tempting. Uh, and it has, and it it kind of does make sense, and uh, you can easily because because exactly <laughs> like you say, when you have those kinds of big you know big uh, schematics or whatever, at what point is it just virgin like a conspiracy? But if it really seems to some kind of logically lay out, is it really fair to dismiss it as well? Well, no, you cannot really dismiss it. No, I mean with these things, you cannot dismiss it. But also, there's no way you can. You can confirm it. Uh, I mean, I mean, uh, there, there is this story. Of course, we can tell it, and it does sound tempting. But on the other hand, there is um, uh, there is uh, the United States economy, and it's uh, uh, ties with China, which make it incredibly expensive and uh, um, difficult to undo the kind of relationship that's been forming between the United States and China for the past, you know, 20, at least 20 years. It's, uh, it's, if you put this in, you know, if you try and weigh it and look at these two stories, I mean, is, does it mean that uh, Trump is prepared to, um, you know, just, um, uh, just to, to go and uh, somehow change the pivot to, to Russia instead of China you cannot really compare these. Russia has a tiny economy. Russia has no, almost no economic relationship with the United States. It's just pure politics. And um, if we talk about um, Syria, which is all over the news today, uh, the U.S. is basically absent uh, from Syria. It's, um, I mean, if there was to be a deal somehow, it's actually already happened because it's now Russia and Turkey who are active in Syria. Uh, the U.S. has almost no involvement. Uh, they've been negotiating the truce, then they failed. Uh, they, they continue. They are they've created a huge mess. But there are two. They're just two, basically two actors now uh, in Syria: Russia and Turkey. Right. You're listening to WSU so, W91.7 FM, The Edge in Whitewater, Wisconsin. This is Rashkin Reporter. I'm your host, Yuri Rashkin. My guest is Maxim Trudalyubov, a senior fellow at the Canada Institute and the editor-at-large of Vedomosti, an independent Russian daily. Uh, Maxim, uh, kind of shifting uh, topics to something that's going on inside Russia and seems to be a rather big news is the main opposition figure, Alexei Navalny, has uh, announced that he is running for president of Russia. Um, and uh, do, do you feel that this is a really even a legitimate piece of news, uh, considering the chances of Navalny to win against Putin? I mean, you know, Hillary Clinton couldn't win against Putin. Uh, so what, what chances does Navalny have? Well, no chance uh, right now, as as things stand right now. Of course, it's zero, but um, it's a big news. Uh, I mean, in our little world of uh, people who are outside of the state-run media and other um, government-run, state-run institutions, it's it's a very very big news. Uh, it's 
constantly discussed. It's like all, all, all over social networks. People are... You see, Navalny is the only politician for this part of the Russian society, of, of, of Russian society that is not um, uh, voting Putin uh, and uh, the official Kremlin-run uh, political parties. Uh, the, everyone disagrees. It's a heated debate, but it's... A, I mean, it's interesting in itself, considering the fact that, you know, the Russian political system is is, is, is a very strange thing. It's, um, I mean, comparing, we're not, let's not compare Russia to um, highly uh, developed, uh, rich European countries or the United I, States. I've heard you compare it to ancient Rome. Can you expand on that? <laughs> uh, sure. Yeah. Um yeah, I just, I'll just finish that. It, it probably makes sense to compare Russia to, 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 to places like Malaysia or Argentina, you know, these countries. And uh, they all have a highly developed political systems. But And Russia does not. Russia basically has one person and, and one challenger. Yeah, and why I mentioned ancient Rome, basically, because um, if we look at the... If we look at the late Republican Rome, uh, where there was an intense political struggle, we see sort of two, <clears throat> not real political parties, but sort of proto-political parties, groupings, um, uh, optimatus and popularis, uh, groups of people who were roughly uh, sort of establishment and uh, populists and uh, uh, Julius Caesar was uh, actually, despite being a, a, a part of an old aristocratic family, was um, actually defending the interests of the people. Um, and in, in, in a setting like this, you can feel that, you know, there's no structure. There are just people. And they, uh, you know, they, uh, they create politics out of uh, ad hoc um, Unions, uh, they create groups, uh, they win or lose elections. And uh, uh, very often the incumbent is like all powerful and the challenger is uh, that has, uh, you know, trouble uh, fighting, you know, fighting in an appeal battle. So we have something comparable in that sense because there are no political parties. Uh, uh, the, the ones that exist, they they are basically uh, state-run organizations. Uh, they are all funded by uh, the administration, and they they just you know fulfill a certain uh, public relations purpose. And uh, and we have this person, basically one person who is a you know uh, who is an aspiring uh, politician who is challenging this, uh, and it's uh, I mean it's. It's incredible in itself, actually. And uh, it's, you know, right. So, And he is running, not represented by any party. He is running as a solo yeah. candidate. Yeah. And when yeah. is the election in Russia? When is the presidential election? It's uh, a year uh, and a half, roughly. It's um, the year 2018. So it's, it's actually, by, by the Russian standards, it's actually so far away that uh, it's almost... Irrelevant because you know in Russia things happen usually even even 
you know, pre-election, it's it's usually two to three months that you you can actually speak of a, a real serious campaigning. Uh, rarely things happen, you know, a year in advance, like in the United States, where you have uh, people starting to think about their campaigns almost immediately after uh, the um, election, after election night. Absolutely. It's, uh, you know, so now the, the, the campaign of whatever it begins because the election is over. Yeah. Um, Maxime, I wanted to ask you, you're a media person. There was a, just a trial that was completed uh, in Russia of uh, one of the oligarchs uh, suing um, a business channel like CNBC type channel uh, for public, you know, for publicizing something about his, pro- you know, I think it's property ownership or something like that. And uh, the channel was found to be guilty, but the fine was minuscule. So it's kind of a mixed picture and everybody seems to be taking away whatever they want from it. Um, you're also not in Russia right now. Is there a connection? What is it like to be a, a reporter, a, a journalist in today's Russia in general? I'm not saying you're tied to this case in any way. I'm just saying, um, wh- where is Russian media? It seems like it's more and more outside the country. Uh, well, it's, it's actually inside, uh, mostly inside the country. Yes, there's a number of uh, media interesting projects that uh, run from uh, outside. Uh, one is um, is called Medusa. Uh, Uh, .io, uh, an interesting Russian language resource that is based in uh, Latvia, uh, in Riga. But and they have a, they have an English language uh, yeah, yeah, they, site they as well. Have, yeah, yeah, they do have an English language. Medusa, website. yes. All right, continue. And um, but most uh, media, including those that are completely independent, and uh, they do have a very independent uh, editorial policies. They are in Moscow, mostly. They are in St. Petersburg as well, and some other cities in Russia. Uh, But there's always in Russia, you have the highest concentration of everything in Moscow. Uh, So we have uh, in Moscow the most uh, media that you you can call free. Um, And RBC, which is the media in question, is a kind of complicated story, a long story, but um, uh, right now they, 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 they already had problems with um, the Kremlin, and the Kremlins wanted to either shut them down completely or do something to uh, tone them down and uh, because they were running investigations of... Um, the dealings of uh, businessmen uh, close to the Kremlin and even touched uh, on the uh, some projects that had to do with uh, Vladimir Putin's daughter, which in Russia is uh, very difficult to do. And uh, I think it's uh, the, it's pretty Putin's daughters, I believe, are like right at the top of do not do list yeah, as far yeah, as it's media a, stories. Yeah, it's a, it's almost it's almost an official taboo. Yes. Uh, um, and uh, yes, and they were um, irreverent. The, the, the holy cows of Russia. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, the two girls. Uh, uh, so they, they were reverent enough to uh, publish a piece about uh, actually two uh, pieces, and um, and and that was 
said to infuriate uh, Vladimir Putin personally, and, and he, he didn't. Anyway, so this resulted in something, and then they've changed the editorial, um, uh, the editorial uh, almost completely. Uh, there are new people running, but they continue because it, they felt like they would be seen as, uh, you know, uh, strike breakers if they just uh, you know immediately start to look like uh, they are pro Kremlin media. So they are not a pro Kremlin media at least in the open. But um, so it is. We are talking about a media that already has been um, well persecuted essentially, and a group of uh, highly respected uh, top editors left uh, a few months ago. Um, Elizaveta Sitinska is one of them, and she's now on a fellowship at um, Stanford, uh, uh, Knight's Fellowship. And um, and uh, so this new uh, group of people who are now the new editorial uh, of uh, RBC, they were uh, sued by um, uh, Igor Sechin, who is uh, feared... Uh, who is he, CEO, I think, he, or president of uh, Rosneft, Russia's biggest oil would you say, Would you say that he is really the second person in, like in, in terms of influence in Russia right now? Uh, yes, I think you can, by now you can say that probably. It's, it's, it's a very informal uh, taking order, so to say, but uh, yes. Well, but if he can, if he can orchestrate an arrest of uh, a secretary of economic development, uh, then uh, it seems like the yeah. consensus yeah, is yeah. he's probably the second person after Putin in terms of influence. Yes. That's what we sort of, that's the word on the street. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we now think it, I mean, yes, and, and that was his, he was aiming at, at this. He was, um, uh, at, at some point, he was apparently at, uh, he felt that he was on the verge of losing his influence. And, uh, you know, this year was crucial for many people like Sitchin. Some of them lost their positions, jobs, or even freedom because uh, Russia had some kind of a, um, well, benign, mo- modest uh, anti-corruption um, drive. Uh, but anyway, so Sitchin survived and uh, even gained uh, a lot of influence. Mainly, I think that uh, what he's trying to do, he's trying to, to, to present himself, to make himself uh, into the kind of breadwinner, uh, a major figure for, for whose whose business is to help the Russian federal budget to stay afloat. And uh, that's sort of his mission, and he, that's where he uh, derives his uh, powers from. That what I, what, what, from what you see, you can probably say this. Sure. And, and so the media has basically a list of taboos that it shouldn't really be speaking yeah. about, whether it's uh, yeah. Putin's family, whether it's Mr. Sitchin. Uh, what, what else do you feel is on this list of taboo that you kind of your, your pen, uh, you know, you, you think twice before typing those those names? Well, usually, I mean, uh, the funny thing, of course, there is no, no list, right? So you, you never know, but you can you can guess. You know, one. One uh, one metaphor that's been uh, current uh, the past months, I think, it was in um, it's uh, the line. It, it's, it's 
the double the solid no passing in, lane. How you say it? The double solid no passing. I, I never actually I didn't know it in English. So yeah, so this Dvainaya uh, Splashnaya, the the double solid um, lane. Uh, this is the uh, you know the kind of image um, my colleagues been using. So in Russia, when you you're not you don't want to cross this really. I mean, when you're on the road, because this is something that the Russian traffic police is really. Um, you know, wild, and they're they're really mad about this. They would immediately stop you. And uh, so, if it says no passing, double solid, fine. there's no passing. No passing, right? And, right. and I mean, um, the way the way we, I mean, in Russia, you can do things on the road sometimes, but there are things you never do, and uh, this is one of them. And um, uh, so, this has been used. And, and so, actually, the thing is that. <laughs> Uh, people say that this no passing line is a movable line. That's the problem because, well, you can probably say that Putin's family is something that's you are more or less sure. Yes, it's not. It's not something you want to to touch. Uh, but uh, there are other things. Yes, related to whatever Igor Sechin is up to right now. Uh, some other big. Uh, biz, uh, businesses, because they would sue you and they would do this ferociously. Um, and um, what else? It's actually there are actually very very few things you can usually you can criticize uh, the Kremlin's policies pretty openly. Uh, almost everything, not almost everything. Uh, uh, if you are a, a, an independent media, you can do that. And usually nothing will happen. Uh, if you touch on somebody's business, and if it's a big business, yes, you may be in trouble. Uh, or it may be something completely unexpected. Uh, you may not, as, as a journalist, you may not be aware of something that the Kremlin is considering of huge importance at this particular Second, and uh, they see somebody writing about it, something they think is very wrong, they may get angry. And then you will basically learn about it, you know, after the fact, when you receive some kind of gift well, from them. You know, yeah. I, I, I guess I can't really argue, but I think that there are some specific things that I find that are just forbidden for discussion, such as the number of... Um, the military army personnel lost in Ukraine. I think that's illegal to even mention in the radio in Russia. Oh, yeah, they made it. Yes, 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 you're right. They made it into a law. You cannot actually do that. People actually, you see, the thing is that when I say the taboos, right, uh, at Vedomosti, we've mentioned all of these things. And there was an article, uh, not one, a number of, um, articles mentioning Putin's daughters. And um, yes, the coverage of Russia's involvement in Ukraine was, well, to the extent the newspaper can do it, was um, without any, uh, no passing lines. Uh, it's just, you know, probably the way you do it, uh, probably there are certain uh, personal issues sometimes uh, in the Kremlin be, between the people who are running 
media, who are responsible for running media uh, on the Kremlin side and uh, some of the editors-in-chief. Uh, the situation, of course, is completely abnormal, and uh, it's not what you call free media. Uh, but inside this unfree situation, there are, uh, you know, new answers. All right. And let me ask you in the end, um, Maxim, do you feel that if situation, if, if the relationship between Russia and America improves as the result of hard work by President-elect Trump and Vladimir Putin, do you feel that this will actually help people in Russia as far as improve their lives in any way? Uh, don't believe it. No, at least not at this moment. I don't think. Um, you see, uh Foreign, I mean, Vladimir Putin's been all into foreign policy for the past almost three years, I think, ever since uh, early 2014, when uh, after the Sochi Olympics, he decided to go into Ukraine, Crimea first and then uh, East Ukraine. And um, ever since, he's been all, all you know, involved in the... Uh, right now, uh, and the, the, after these three years, Russia is in, uh, you know, the economy is stagnating, real income is falling, uh, we don't see, there's no light uh, right now uh, from the economic standpoint. So uh, he will have to deal with uh, Russia's domestics, but I don't understand what how he would uh, suddenly uh, make it, you know, run. Uh, he will need, I mean, he, he definitely, I mean, I, we can say this safely. The bet, uh, the Kremlin uh, puts its bet on the fact that they will be able to lift uh, the sanctions, starting from probably even uh, including the Magnitsky Act. They're aiming at lifting everything. And uh, once they do it, they'll be able to get back to being funded. I mean, the Russian state-run companies being funded by uh, getting, you know, financing from uh, American banks and uh, other Western banks that uh, can, I mean, right now are uh, not allowed to do that. So basically they're expecting this, but who knows how, uh, whether... It's possible when, um, um, I don't know, it, it really depends on this, on the sanctions, I think. And uh, this is the only path that uh, I can tell the Kremlin is looking uh, right now, because they are not serious about any domestic uh, economic reform. They just don't do it. Uh, the Russian economy is 70% uh, state-run, state-owned. 70% used to be less than half, a lot less than half, um, eight years ago. For the past eight years, the economy has been essentially almost re-nationalized. Uh, so to run an economy like this, you, I mean, it's, it's just kind of, I don't even know, it's, 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 diff it's different. It's not, you know, the kind of way you run uh, a, an economy that is mostly... Uh, you know, privately run, privately owned. All right. Uh, Maxim Trudalibov, thank you so much for being on Rashkin Report, and I hope we can continue this conversation in the future. Sure. Thank you for having me. You're listening to 91.7 FM, WSUW, in Whitewater, Wisconsin.
listening to Rashkin Report.